Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. As we continue in our study of the armor, found there in that passage, verses 10 through 17, actually. I wanted to, uh, I did mean to mention uh, before, earlier, before our prayer, and I didn't do it, to be praying for, for Todd, uh, our student minister, uh, to this weekend or today. And last night he spoke to a group of parents at a parent's uh, dinner at a D-Now down in Cumming, Georgia. And he's got a couple of uh, youth young men with him, and they've uh, shared some down there, and they're worshiping there this morning, be coming back this afternoon. So uh, just keep them in your prayers as they travel today and as they come back to us. Uh, said he had a good good evening last night with those parents. We are continuing our study of the armor. Now we've looked at uh, well, that's good. We've looked at uh, three pieces so far. We started out with the belt of truth, and we saw that the belt of truth is really the truth of God's word. And unless you have a commitment to and an understanding of God's word as a belt, you're not prepared for the battle. That's how you prepare. That's how you get ready to enter into the battle. The second piece was the breastplate of righteousness. Covered the midsection. And Paul's looking at those Roman soldiers that he was chained to day after day, night after night. And he saw that breastplate. He saw it as protecting the midsection. And to his, gener- to his time, that, that was sort of representative of the emotions. The heart, the, the kidneys, the, the bowels were, were the seat of the emotions in in Jewish thought and, and Greek thought during Paul's day. And so Paul said the, the breastplate of righteousness will protect your emotions. It'll protect you from uh, roller coaster experiences in your emotions in your Christian life. And, and that righteousness is not self-righteousness. It's not seeing how good I can be and being as good as I can be. And, and you know, if, if I'm a good enough person, then everything will be all right. But we found out it's the righteousness of Christ. It's, it, it begins with the imputed righteousness, but imputed righteousness added to our account is not the breastplate, but the breastplate is that imputed righteousness becoming a practical righteousness, a righteous, righteousness that is worked out daily, that becomes a part of our life where we are reflecting the righteousness of Christ. We're reflecting the character of Christ in a, in a daily sort of way. And, and sin is what puts chinks in that armor. And the breastplate was primarily to protect against hand-to-hand combat with daggers or, or other small weapons of, of war. And if, if, if there were chinks in the armor, then the enemy could, could pierce through and, and kill the Roman soldier. Well, if there's chinks in our armor, Satan with his daggers can come right through and cause us great harm and great, great damage in our walk with Christ. And so we, we wear the breastplate of righteousness, not our righteousness, but his righteousness, because we have none, and we're dependent upon his. Last week we talked about the shoes, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and we, we talked about the importance of the shoes because of spikes that the enemy would place hidden in the ground, so they had to be thick and hard soles, and they, they, had, they had little spikes on the bottom of them like cleats would have, so that, the, so that he could, the, the soldier could stand firm and stand his ground, and walking across a field wouldn't get his foot pierced through, and, and thus fall and, and be ineffective, be useless in the battle. And in our lives, we we saw that Paul said the way those shoes protect and those shoes help the soldier to stand firm, well, in our spiritual battle, the shoes represent the gospel of peace. And the gospel of peace is that that we we, we are now at peace with God. We have peace with God. 
And when the enemy wants to trip us up by saying, why, God doesn't love you, or, or, or God, God doesn't like you anymore, or whatever you might say, we can say, no, we have the gospel of peace shotting our feet. We know that we stand at peace with God. Now, we may forfeit some of the peace of God from time to time because there get chinks in the breastplate, and we find ourselves with some, some problems there. But, but Paul says, I want you to know, you can know that you have peace with God, and that will help you to stand. In, in very difficult times. So we got on the belt, we got on the breastplate, we got on the shoes. Now we come to a, a part of the armor that is really not on the body. There's still one more, uh, the helmet of salvation next week, that is on the body. But we come to one now that is not on the body. It's external. And that is, it's the, the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Listen again as I read starting in verse 10 and de read down through verse 16. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows, or fiery darts, King James says, of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now remember, Paul is there chained to the Roman soldiers. He's, he's, in, uh, he's in prison. He's in prison for his faith. And round the clock, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he is chained to these praetorian guard. And so he's seeing them in their armor. But the shield was a little different from the other things. A soldier that was there by Paul always had on his breastplate, always had on his belt, always had on his shoes, and always had on his helmet. But, it, but when he was standing there, or when he was guarding a, a prisoner, guarding Paul in this case, the shield was not something necessarily that he held at all times. Matter of fact, the shield was something that could be set aside for a period of time, as long as it was, was within reach, as long as it could be taken up in the moment to be able to be ready for the battle. So Paul is looking at him. The shield is probably laying a foot or two from the soldier, or standing a foot or two from the soldier. The shield was important, though, in the battle. And, and in Roman times, there were several different types of shields. There were, uh, there were primarily two stand out, however. You've probably seen pictures of Roman soldiers where they're standing there, and they've got on their arm, kind of uh, with, with the arm running through the back of it, a little round shield. That shield was called the aspis. The aspis shield was rather small and round and was primarily used in hand-to-hand -hand combat to fend off whatever was coming at them from daggers and swords that were, were fighting up close. The, the shield was, was useful in that hand-to-hand -hand combat. But the word that Paul uses here for shield is not the word aspis. He's not talking about the little round shield that you use in hand-to-hand -hand combat. But rather, he uses a word there in the Greek that is thurion. The, the thurion shield was a, a, a word or a shield that was much larger. As a matter of fact, it was, it was kind of door-like. It, it typically was about four feet, four and a half feet tall, two and a half feet wide. 
and it was made out of wood, but it was covered over on the outside with metal, a sheet of metal, and sometimes had some, some leather on it that had been treated and everything, but it, but it had a covering over that wood, and the, 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 this shield had, a, had two handles on it, and, and the soldier would take it into battle, and, and it was to prevent against the fiery darts or the flaming arrows, or I think one translation calls it the flaming missiles of the evil one, the wicked one. And the purpose of this shield was to give the Roman soldier complete coverage, complete protection. As a matter of fact, they would take the, they would take the, the Thurion shield and they would go into battle and a whole row across the front would walk with the Thurion shield as they were marching toward the enemy. And, and when the enemy would start firing arrows... And many times those arrows having been dipped with pitch into something and then set on fire and fired at them, the frontline soldiers would get there and they would sit their, their shield on the ground and they would get up real close behind it and others would press in behind. It was kind of like it would just hunker down behind that shield so the arrows couldn't get to them. If a, if, a, if a flaming arrow hit a soldier, I don't care if he's got his breastplate on or his, and his belt and, and his shoes and everything else, if a fiery missile, a fiery arrow were to hit him anywhere with a substance that would hit and then sort of scatter and kind of explode almost when it hit there, then he would be in danger of being burned and being destroyed in the battle or being taken out of the battle. So, so the Thurion shield was a large seal specifically prepared and built for total protection of the soldier. The purpose of the shield was to quench those darts or quench those arrows that might be coming at them. And not just some of them, but all of them. The ones that had leather on it had a specially treated type of leather that would, would extinguish it as soon as it would hit. It would, it would just absorb the, the arrow and the, and the flaming part into it and would extinguish it. Now Paul says here that, that we will take up the shield of faith he said, that shield is like our faith. It's not the initial faith of salvation. It's not initially expressing faith in Christ and, and thus being saved. But it's the faith that is necessary in our daily walk every single day that we walk in Christ. Now, what in the world do you think Paul was thinking about when he said, this shield of faith, this faith in God, this believing God, this trusting in Him will give us what we need to extinguish these fiery darts of the evil one or firing darts of Satan. What do you think those fiery darts are? I think what Paul had in mind, quite honestly, was, was what we might call th those seducing temptations of Satan. The fiery darts are those seducing temptations, those, those attempts to, the, to tempt us into disobedience to God, to tempt us into sin, to tempt us in such a way as to provide a chink in the breastplate so we would have a much more direct attack into our life. These fiery darts are seducing temptations with which Satan continuously assaults the believer. If you're a Christian, you know that. If you're a Christian, you realize that the Christian life, typically the more you grow in Christ, does not become easier, it becomes more difficult. You realize that as you're walking in Christ, Satan's minions are more determined to see you defeated than to see you continue on prospering and growing and maturing in your Christian life. And so seducing temptations are a reality for every believer who's growing in Christ. I have people all the time say, Bill, I'm, 
I'm really struggling in my Christian life. I'm really struggling. I, I just feel temptations from every direction. I, I, I feel like that if, if it weren't for the power of Christ in my life, why, I would go off and no telling what I would do. And I, Well, that's good. No, you don't understand. I, I sometimes want to go do those things. I sometimes want to give in. And if it weren't for the power of Christ and the resurrected Christ in my life, why, I would just give in to them and I would fall headlong and happily into sin. And I said, well, that's good. And they still look at me kind of crazy. How can that be good that I'm tempted and I'm struggling and I'm, I'm wrestling all the time? I say that's good because that's evidence that you are in Christ. And when you say you would do it if it weren't for the living Christ in you and the resurrection of Christ, th that's all right because Christ is resurrected and Christ is in you as a believer. And all those temptations, God has provided you a shield by which to block them off, every one of them. But if you're in just a casual Christian you know I just do this on Sunday because it looks good or you know I'm really living another life out there but here I try to look a little holy on Sunday morning but out there pff, nobody cares I don't feel any temptations no you wouldn't because Satan and his, his demons would say oh that's that's my kind of man it's my kind of woman they profess one thing on Sunday. They live another way during the week. Let's just leave them alone. We start trying to tempt them more. We might get in trouble. They might actually see their sin and repent of it and turn to Christ. So let's leave them alone. But the shield that will protect us from those temptations, from Satan's shafts, fiery arrows of, of impurity and selfishness and fear and disappointment and lust and greed and vanity and covetousness and all the other things that he shoots at us from time to time, the only thing that will protect us is faith. The shield of faith. The faith that he gives us. All those sedu seducing temptations really all are boiled down by the Apostle John in 1 John 2.16 when he says that all of this all comes down to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every sin and every temptation really uh, can be kind of, kind of, narrowed down to those three things and uh, sin is either uh, the lust of the flesh our, 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 our desiring something with all our might and we want it so bad and, and we lust after it or the lust of the eyes we see something and we think we just got to have it more than anything else we lust after it or the pride of life where we get to thinking that it's not the righteousness of Christ that's important it's our righteousness our self-righteousness and Satan uses all those things to bring about impurity and selfishness and lust and greed and all those vanity and covetousness, all those things. But they all come down to those three matters. So if, the, if faith is our shield, what are we talking about? How do we define the shield of faith? What is faith? Well, we always talk about faith as being what you have to have in order to be saved. And, and I recognize that. But Paul is not saying here, after you got on the breastplate, after you got on the belt, after you got on the shoes, now get saved. You're not saying that kind of faith. Same as with the helmet of salvation that we'll talk about next week. He doesn't say, now, after you work all this out, now you, can, now you can have faith and be saved. That's not it. This is a faith that is an ongoing reality in the believer's life. In reality, faith simply means believing God. That's what faith is. It's not magical. It's not, it's not mystical. It's not something that, that is, you know, you just kind of have to, to worry about whether you can get faith is just believing God and that's the bottom line of the Christian life we have faith in things all the time don't we 
You're, you're expressing faith right now, sitting in those chairs. You're believing those chairs are going to hold you up. Some of you, when you go home today from church, you're going to cross over bridges. Uh, probably without even thinking about it a lot, but you're expressing faith in that bridge, that it, it's strong enough. It's not like so many that we're hearing about in the news now that, that need multiple repairs and serious repairs. It's, we're going to trust that bridge that, that we can go across it. We'll drive across it most of the time without even thinking. Sometime in the next weeks or months or sometime, you're probably going to get on an airplane and you're going to say, okay, I have faith in this plane. And, and believe me, when I get on an airplane, it takes a lot of faith in the plane. But, but I, I have faith in this plane that it's going to get me from wherever I'm leaving to wherever I'm going, and it's going to get me there without just falling out of the air. Every time I get on a plane, I start looking around and looking at the engines and looking at the wings and saying, this can't work. Doesn't make sense but it works and I go ahead and express faith in the plane get on it and fly I believe that Boeing or whoever built it and I believe that Delta or Southwest or whoever is maintaining it is taking care of it and it's built in such a way that it will do what it's supposed to do the whole of the Christian life is believing God it's believing as Hebrews 11:6 said the writer of Hebrews said we're believing that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him, that, that he exists, that he's reality, and that, though, that, that he, he, he rewards those who seek him diligently, those who know him and pursue him daily. The Bible talks about over and over again, this is the, the passage, part of the passage is, that's buried underneath the pulpit area out in our new sanctuary where the Bible opened in Mark. Uh, the Bible says that the just or the justified ones that is, those who are right with God, been declared right by the, the judge universe because of faith in Christ, because of the work of Christ, that the Bible says the just or the justified shall live by faith. Not just to get saved, but every single day as we live, as we walk, as we breathe, as we experience what we call the Christian life. And and Habakkuk the prophet said that in 2.4 and Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11 all talk about that very thing that if you are in Christ, if you are justified, if you are one of those who belong to God and are in his family, you will walk, you will live, you will exist by faith. So how does faith protect us or shield us from these temptations? How does faith shield us from the fiery arrows of the evil one, the seducing temptations of the evil one? Well, 1 Peter uh, 1.5, there the apostle Peter says that we are protected by the power of God through faith. Remember that passage? Powerful passage. We who are in Christ are protected by the power of God through faith. It's not, a, it's not just that, okay, we stand back and we say, okay, I'm going to believe whatever I want to believe, do whatever I want to do, and, and God's going to protect me. No, that's not what Peter is saying. But he's saying those who have faith, those who believe God, those who trust God, those who trust in Christ, they will be protected not by their own strength, not by their own insight, not by their own wisdom. They will be protected by the power of God unequivocally in every way, in every area of life. Faith is believing God and th faith is, is expressing that belief and thus being protected by the power of God. There, there are two clear examples in Scripture where this is a reality and I've used them in other sermons before but I'll use them again to, to, today because I think they're important. First of all, there's an example 
of where, where lack of faith, lack of believing God, led to serious problems. You know that is the fall found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. When Eve was there in, in the garden and, and, and the serpent came along, Satan came along disguised as a serpent, and, and this is what, it, what Genesis records for. It said, now the, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any of the tree, trees of the garden? Now that was a loaded question. Satan knew that God had not said, you can't eat of any of these trees. But he wanted to start by just planting a little seed of doubt. So as God said, you shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden, the woman said to the servant, oh, no, no, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it, touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. You're not going to die if you eat of that fruit. You know, God knows that in the day that you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, we could look at all sorts of implications of that account and all the various things of why Eve did it and why she gave to her husband and why he was there with her and he didn't say anything. Well, we can go into all those kind of things, but that's not the point I want you to see this morning. What I want you to see this morning is the problem entered in when, when Eve chose to believe Satan rather than believing God. God said, you eat of it, you're going to die. Satan said, oh, no, 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 no. If you eat of it, you're going you're gonna to be wise. You're going to know good from evil. You're going to be just like God. So, so don't worry about what God said. Go ahead and enjoy and get your wisdom right now. And we know how that turned out. But the problem was she believed Satan rather than believing God. Second illustration of that is, is the story in found in Matthew chapter 4, the story of the temptation of Jesus. I want you to see the total contrast of these two, the total difference in these two. Matthew records this in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's a, that's a loaded verse there. He was led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness for the devil to tempt him. In other words, God gave his permission for this to take place. And after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. Well, wouldn't he, though? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Simple thing. He's, he's, the, he's the Son of God. He's got all power. We'll see it later on in his ministry. He'll do some things that nobody ever seen before. Heal the blind, raise the dead, uh, heal the lame. I mean, it's an amazing thing that he did. And all Satan said is, If you're hungry, man, you haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Turn the rock to bread and let's eat. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus believed God's word rather than believing Satan. And Satan was defeated. 
Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are God, throw yourself down. For it is written, I love it, Satan now quotes scripture. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan must have been pretty proud of himself. I can quote scripture too, he said. And he threw the scripture back at Jesus. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, in other words, don't take it out of context, Satan. On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He believed God's word rather than Satan. Satan was defeated. The temptation was extinguished. And then finally, again, the devil took him up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Once again, Jesus said, go away, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him, probably began to feed him. You know, the, the, in, all the, in those three temptations, you see those same things that, that John talks about in 1 John, the, 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 pri, uh, the lust of the flesh. He was hungry. He wanted food. He, he desired food. He needed food. And Satan said, look, fulfill the lust of your flesh. Fulfill the needs of your flesh. Turn the stone into bread. He didn't do it. The lust of the eyes took him on up, up on the, uh, the pinnacle and said, or up on the mountain, rather, the third one and said, look out over all the land. Everything out there, look at it, see it, desire it. It's yours if you just bow down and worship me. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Hey, show everybody how great you are. Go up on the pinnacle of the temple, jump off. The angels will rescue you. You're set life they'll just they'll just be awed by who you are but Satan could tempt and tempt and Jesus would always believe God he'd always come back to that point of no I believe God not you Satan I mean the 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 the, the truth is clear we have a shield against temptation when we believe God I would ask you this question Who do you believe when you sin? Simple question. Who are you believing? Well, I, I just believe this is, will make me happy. I know God's word says I shouldn't do this, but I believe it will make me happy. I believe it will bring me pleasure, and pleasure is a good thing. I like pleasure, and, and, and so I'm just going to go ahead and do it this time. You're more like Eve than you are like Jesus. You're believing Satan rather than believing God. The shield of faith is the consistent application of what we believe about God and believe that God has said to the issues of life. To quench, to quench the arrows of Satan and his temptations is to believe God, is to have faith in God and in the promises that are found in the gospel. It's a believe we have peace with God. 
It's to believe that his righteousness is clothing us and his righteousness is protecting us. It's to believe his word, have the belt on, believe this is God's word, this is God's truth, and I rest in it and I stand on it. And it's to believe that Christ died on the cross to take away my sin and to give me his righteousness. He died there in my place bearing my penalty and my punishment. That's what it means to... Take up the shield of faith to believe God. God, I, I believe you and your word more than I believe what Satan wants to tell me right now. I, I believe you and your word more than whatever it is that I want for myself right now. Lord, I trust you and you alone. There's a song we sing on occasion here, and I, I love what we sang this morning, have faith in God and by faith. I mean, it's just, it's so... It's so much further teaching, even before I started teaching about what I'm talking about this morning. But another one we sing sometimes is before the throne of God above. And, and I think one of the most meaningful verses in that song is, is what we're talking about this morning. It says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within... When Satan tempts me of despair and, and tells me of my guilt within, I do have guilt. And, and he wants to take that and, and, and use that to bring us to a doubting point where we just start believing him rather than believing God. I mean, he, he tempts us to despair. He tells us of our guilt within because each of us still sin every day. We still struggle with that. If you don't, please come counsel with me. I need help. You know, I, I love Pilgrim's Progress, the, the great book by John Bunyan, which tells, it's, it's an analogy of the Christian life. You've got Christian in it, and on one of his particular places, he comes to the point where he, he, uh, he, he's approached by Apollyon, who is the Satan character in, in Pilgrim's Progress. And Apollyon accuses Christian of a series of sins. And, and Christian basically re replies, you know, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right, but I'm actually a lot worse than you see. You're, you're right, but it's really worse than you know. And Apollyon says, you almost fainted when you first set out, and, and you almost choked in the sw swamp of despond. You also attempted to get rid of your burden in the wrong way, instead of patiently waiting for the prince, that's Jesus, to take it off. You sinfully slept, and you lost your scroll. You were almost persuaded to go back in the, at the sight of the lion's. And when you talk of your journey and of what you have heard and seen, you inwardly desire your own glory in all that you do and say. Does that sound familiar? And Christian replied to him and said, All this is true and much more that you fail to mention. But the prince whom I now serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Besides, these infirmities possessed me while I was in your country, and there I allowed them to come in. But I have groaned under them, have been sorrowful for them, and have obtained pardon from my prince. When Satan tempts me to despair that I'm not perfect, and I don't do everything just right, and he tells me my guilt within, and listen to this, second phrase upward I look to the cross upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin 
Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me. See, when we believe God, we're, we're demonstrating that we know that we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. When we believe Him, when we express faith in those horrible and, 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 and difficult temptations, I don't play those down one bit. But when we, when we have faith in God and say, God, I believe what you say, not what Satan says. We have the shield and we're behind it and it's protecting us. Protecting us from all the errors. Protecting us from all the fiery darts. Protecting us from that which would destroy us. We have to believe God. And if you're going to believe God, you've got to know what he says in his word and in his gospel. You've got to know what the truth is. You've got to know what the promises of that word are. You've got to know what the promises of the gospel are. You've got to know what the shoes are and what the breastplate is and what the belt is. You've got you to know what God has said about peace with God, about righteousness and about truth. And you've you got to believe that by placing the shield firmly in front of you. Who are you believing most more today? Who are you believing? Who are you listening to? Who are you allowing to, to play with your mind and, and cause you to sin. Who are you believing? Who? Let's pray. Holy Father, blessed Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, my King, my God. I am so grateful that when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt, that rather than excusing the guilt and rather than rather than falling into his traps of, of, of despair and discouragement, Lord, that, that upward we can look and see you there and realize that by the gospel and by your truth, you put an end to all our sin. Because, Lord, you were sinless and you died, and because of that, our sinful soul is counted as free from sin and judgment and condemnation. Because, Father, you are the just one, you are the holy one, and you, you are satisfied to take Christ's sacrifice and apply it to our lives, and, and you're satisfied to look on him and pardon us, forgive us, 
set us free from sin and death. Father, for that this morning, I am so grateful. Lord, I pray for men and women who may be sitting here this morning who don't have that assurance. They, they, they can't honestly say, listen, I know that my sinful soul was counted free because they've not trusted in Christ. They've, they've trusted in themselves. They've trusted in their goodness. They've trusted in their ability they've not trusted in Christ alone Father I pray your Holy Spirit would work in their heart right now open their eyes even as we sang about our first song open the eyes of their heart that they might see the Savior and their need for him Father I pray for others who are in areas of their life they're believing the devil they're just there's believing the devil. It's whether it's pursuing uh, immorality or p- pursuing lying or pursuing covetousness. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, Lord. But there, there, there's some who perhaps this morning are, are believing Satan rather than believing you. I pray, Father, that by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, you will break that and give them the faith to believe you rather than the evil one. Father, break us from sin and set us free. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name.